The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Kanda, Estrada, Mantos, Idrex, Nocturum, Nosferatus, Kanda, Amantos, Kanda. <laughs> Hello. This is the laugh, the last part of that bit. Yeah. Hello, it's me. Uh, you just summoned your guest. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Movie Crush. Uh, that was Joe Garden's great idea to start <laughs> off <laughs> this great, great Evil Dead 2 tribute with uh, the words from the Book of the Dead. Yes, uh, the Book of the Dead. Legend has it. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing okay. It's been a. Uh, I think I, I was. We ran into each other at the cafe nearby, and I, I know. So funny. I ordered a sandwich. I turned around, and you were just lurking there like a slasher. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Charles. Of all the places, uh, <laughs> I guess it was the closest sandwich place to the uh, New York studio, which is where we are. Yeah, there's a there's a Starbucks downstairs, but uh, you know why why go for Starbucks when you can support a little independent, a little big independent bakery? That's right, the Grand Daisy Bakery. Yes, had a delicious uh, sandwich. I had a delicious uh, a pan au chocolat. <laughs> uh, that's a chocolate croissant <laughs> for those of you that don't speak French. So I know what you're, uh, how you're doing because we caught up and talked a little bit of slasher movie mm-hmm. stuff in the uh, in the bakery. Yeah, and I told you I've been kind of catching up on some of these things I'd never seen before, which is super fun. Yeah. It's always it's like it's nice to go and it's still amazing what how many. Horror movies there are out there that yeah. you to, to, to catch up on. Like, yeah, you hadn't seen The Burning, and I was shocked. I hadn't seen The Burning. Yeah. Um, and this is the first year I've seen Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, which is the one without— uh, Yeah, I've heard that's really good. It is 
bad and good. It okay. is like it is like it's it's well it's interesting because like the there's a there's a romance between a 48-year-old and a 22-year-old that's really kind of gross. But, but so that, it's like every other movie. Yeah. But the 22-year-old in this case happened to be the inspiration for Manhattan. Uh, oh. The real – the actress dated Woody Allen when she was 17. And oh. I know Manhattan was your favorite movie at one point. It was for a while. And now a little bit <laughs> – and it's even a little bit more problematic now that you know that – Yeah. And he, he maintains, oh, we never had a relation. And she was like, yeah, we totally had a relation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Real. So she, the, the real person was the actor in – Halloween 3. Halloween 3. Yeah. Season of the Witch, right? Yeah. Season of the Witch. And it's actually funny because you're like – you know, you watch these, uh, Season of the Witch and you're laughing and you're just like, oh, kind of rolling your eyes. Yeah. And, but then at like the last like 20 minutes, it just really starts to get uh, – it really starts to get to you. And then you're just like, it's really creepy and effective. Uh-huh. And I, you know, I think it would be – that would be a key – that would be a great movie to remake where you could just like iron out, smooth out the rough edges and like mm-hmm. make it, you know, put better actors in there. and Right. Uh, it's a good concept, right? It's a really good concept. It's a fun, you know, fun videodromy almost uh, right. concept. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I look forward to this becoming a regular thing, having you on and doing uh, horror movies. I am happy to do so. And we I, can do whatever. We don't have to do horror, but it's just you can turn me on to so many new things. I am all about – well, we were we were talking about uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Now that you've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first right. time and had the had the crap scared out of you, uh-huh. now you can see <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and have the crap, uh, the crap scared out of you and laugh as well. Because yeah, it is it's really, pretty bonkers, right? It is bonkers. And it's, uh, you know, it's Dennis Hopper versus Leatherface in a, in a chainsaw battle. That's all you need to say. That's all you need to say. And it's like – Chef's kiss, beautiful. So, is I don't want to spoil it for myself, but is uh, two because at the end of one we see Leatherface just sort of. I mean, I guess he cuts his leg, but he's just sort of angrily doing his little shimmy shake with mm. the chainsaw, and that's the last we see of him. Yeah. So, does two pick up right after one, or is it a totally new thing? It picks up a ways after one, and okay. it's just like a little bit more. You know, that was just a very contained. That was very contained in a small, you know, group of people. And mm-hmm. this is the, this is sort of them running loose in the gotcha. in the Texas countryside, or you know, not really countryside, but right. What seems like it's around Austin. Um, it's I mean, it's really fun. It's like <laughs> I, running loose in downtown Austin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Take this, emos. <laughs> yeah, Congress Street. You shall be mine. <laughs> uh, but we are here to talk about. Well, we can talk about whatever. But uh, Evil Dead Two. Uh, original or not originally, but I think in some of the press materials, Evil Dead Two, Dead by Dawn. Yeah, it was like the official title is just Evil Dead Two, right. but the poster's tagline, Dead by Dawn, was such you know, it really kind of became part of the you know part. It almost became a de facto part of the title because people yeah. thought of it that way. And that's in the movie, you know, Dead by Dawn, Dead, Dead by, by Dawn. <laughs> we are the people. We are those who. War and shall be again. Um, oh, I actually wrote that line down. We might as well say it because it's so great. We are the things that were and shall be again. <laughs> it's so good. It's really funny how quotable the movie is. It's just like there's just so many little little lines that, you know, pop yeah. up. Uh, if you listen to, uh, you know, I listened to a fair amount of industrial and dance, like electronic music in the uh-huh. early 90s. And, you know, samples of Evil Dead were just pretty much un- oh, inescapable. Really? Oh, yeah. Everybody, <laughs> you know, there was uh, 
Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Groovy. That was in like. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it was like, you know, Skinny Puppy, The Rolling Cox, The Shaman, uh, you know, uh, all, all those bands like just decided to build entire songs around wow. uh, Evil Dead samples. And it was, you know, it's pretty effective. It's sure. a fun, you know. But yeah, so the whole story behind Evil Dead is pretty interesting. It's yeah. like a, because this is like, this is their, uh, Sam Raimi's third movie. Uh, with Bruce Campbell. Right. And third movie in general. Well, this is third theatrical release, I should say. They, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and a bunch of other people, uh, Scott Spiegel. The, to- the Coen brothers. The Coen brothers. Sure. Were, the Coen brothers were involved with them, but they, like, a lot of these guys grew up, the, the Coen brothers grew up in Minneapolis, but uh, there was a core group of people that grew up in Michigan and went to school together, and they made all these eight right. millimeter movies together. Right. And, you know, it's the kind of thing where... They would just get more and more complex, and then they'd start. He'd, you know, they start with simple, fun movies, and they start to learn little editing tricks, and uh-huh. start, and so on, and so on. So by the time they were in college, they had figured out a, you know, they had figured out how to, you know, construct a story. Not always very ed- well, but uh, sure. they they figured out a lot of the tricks, and they developed a style for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, Sam Raimi, finally, I mean, finally, uh, Rob Tappert, who is the producer, mm-hmm. was started researching, like, well, how do we make a movie that we can sell? And they yeah. finally were like, well, let's do a horror movie. All these horror movies have made, you know, start out with low budgets with beginning directors and have made a profit. And right. so Sam Raimi was not really a huge, neither Sam Raimi nor uh, Bruce Campbell were huge fans of the genre. They weren't like oh, big really? horror movies. Well, they're probably like better, bigger horror movie fans now, but at uh-huh. the time they're just like, eh, whatever, you know, we'll make a horror movie. Why not? Um, well, it's it's funny. It's still that's still the case, and horror movies still stand as a very effective way to do a movie on the cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about this in one of the roundtables. You know, to do a slasher movie, you can you can go camping for yeah. a week and shoot a movie yeah. these days with a digital camera, mm-hmm. as long as you have some attractive youngsters <laughs> and a couple of knives mm-hmm. and a good concept. You can still go out and do and a lot of corn syrup and red red dye. Mm-hmm. You can do some really good like it's got to be a good concept or right. else it's just trash. Yeah, but you can do it on the cheap. Yeah, and there's like you know you don't need a you know you don't need a giant set. You don't need no. a, anything. You can just like in this case in the case of the first Evil Dead, they just had a, a cabin in Tennessee that they went to that right. was not heated. Yeah, uh, and. They had a house that they were staying in. Uh-huh. Uh, then while they were staying overnight at their house, some locals came and stole all the power tools. They, did, they left behind all the expensive editing or all the expensive like camera tools or camera equipment, but they stole their power tools. So <laughs> Sam Raimi ended up spending the night in this freezing cabin oh, in order no. to protect everything. To guard the stuff? Yeah. Um, I've, I've tried to sleep on, an, on a deflated air mattress, and it was like 60 degrees. Yeah. And I was like, uh, uh, this is not – yeah. <laughs> I'm never doing this again. <laughs> I don't think we were, we were talking uh, off mic and, and I started screaming, save it, even though it was my fault because I brought it up. But, but Evil Dead 1 is the one I'm least, that I've seen the least. I, I know I've seen it mm-hmm. and maybe even a couple of times, but I've seen Army of Darkness a lot. Mm-hmm. Probably my favorite, although Evil Dead 2 is right neck and neck. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeing Evil Dead 2 for the first time. Uh, this came out in 87, and I think I saw it at a midnight screening in, had to have been either 88 or 89 mm-hmm. when I was a junior or senior in high school. Wow. And I wasn't 
you know, we talked a bit about it. I wasn't horror movie kid and I wasn't midnight movie kid. I just sort of got roped into it with friends. But I remember seeing it and just like not having ever seen anything like it before in my life. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw it was in like early 1988, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't theatrically. I think the last time I was here, I said we had one movie theater around me and I just, you know. They certainly didn't play Evil Dead 2. They certainly (laughs) did not play Evil Dead 2. Um, But they had, uh, you know, I went to a friend's house and they had rented Evil Dead 2. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the time, I, I was watching horror, I was watching horror movies but I always like to think I was smarter than the horror movies. Right. And so I was like, ugh, this is like... So, you know, I would watch Return of the Living Dead over and over again, and then Night of the Living Dead, and then yeah. all these movies. But I always thought that it would be like, you know, I was like, if you could see any of the seams, I'd be like, this movie's stupid. Yeah. And so, you know, I, we stayed... <laughs> Interesting, because that's so not you now. Oh, no, no, no. Now, I had this lovely discussion uh, with my wife, who... Uh, says hello. Uh, she, uh, by the way, I'd just like to do a quick plug for my wife. Uh, she's sure. A, she's a cartoonist. Right. And if you follow her at Hannah K. Garden, uh, you can see some of her, like, she just, she does diary and autobiographical stuff. H-A-N-N-A-H-K Garden. Yeah. Okay. And she has a Patreon as well. So, but you can, like, get a feel for it. And if you decide you want to throw a buck into the plate, uh, you can just go to Patreon. It's, you know, it's, there's no minimum. There's no minimum. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we were talking about that, and it's like it's very easy to just sort of shit on something yeah. and watch something and thinking you're smarter than it or you're mm-hmm. better than it. But it's hard to sit there and watch. It's, it's a little bit more challenging but ultimately more rewarding to watch something and say, well, what were they trying to do? How did this work? And mm-hmm. what did it – and, you know, it's so – I mean, that's the case with Evil Dead 2. Like at the time, I was like – I think I – we watched probably a Monty Python movie, and then they threw on Evil Dead 2, mm-hmm. and I think I made it to the dancing corpse scene, and I was like, ah, this, I, we, I gotta go. And uh, because I was like, ah, it looks so fake, and but it was, you know, now you watch right. it, it's like, it's so amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I respect the, you know, should we, like, so that's, uh, I mean, so that's the thing. I was like 18 years old, and... You didn't appreciate stop motion, and Jason and the Argonaut style stop motion animation at the time, probably. No, not as much as Because it I does should. look fake and corny. It does, but it's also amazing yeah. for what it, I mean, you know, I can't imagine being a kid now and watching stop motion because, you know, that's all practical effects. And with digital, you know, with digital effects, you can replicate all that stuff. Right. Handle. You can make a realistic looking Thanos, uh, for example. Right. Um... But yeah, it's such a, it's a fun, I mean, it's such, I mean, I could sort of, I mean, of course I can, everybody can look back at their younger selves and kick themselves. Uh, I I will forgive myself instead. Be like, you know what? You you tried. For sure. (laughs) Uh, My deal, and I talked a little bit about this on, I think one of the roundtables or maybe just one of the minis with Noel, but I really, maybe more so than any other genre, uh, completely just give myself up to it. Mm-hmm. And I'm all in. Yeah. Because I don't see what the point is. It's no fun at all to to nitpick horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see the point because maybe more so than any other genre, they are Nick Pittable. <laughs> and uh, it, it's sure, you can always do that. Yeah. But I don't see the point. I just, I give myself up to a horror movie. I buy it all. I'm there for the fun and the ride. And uh, even a movie like uh, A Quiet Place, I'm not sure if you saw that one. I didn't, and I don't. I think I'd like to go. I'd like to watch it now. I just remember seeing so many ads for, like, so many yeah. trailers for it, and I was just like, it was, it was overhyped for sure. Yeah, but a good. They call it like I think horror fans call it like a good 
starter horror, or, mm. if, or if you're not into horror, watch this and you might like it. Right. Uh, but very much a movie you can pick holes in all over the place, uh, as well as things like Midsummer. But like just, yeah. and I had problems with that that aren't, aren't nitpicky. But <laughs> yeah. I give myself up to it when I go into the theater or watch one of these movies at home. I'm just there to have fun. Yeah, and it's like it's so easy, especially if you're. I mean, if you go to see a horror movie in a theater. I went to see, uh, uh, what was it? There's two. There were two like Facebook themed, uh, Facebook style right. uh, movies that were released. At the Unfriended same time. and uh, Unfriended and one other one. Friend, maybe Friend Request. <laughs> Blocked. I can't remember. <laughs> it was like, but one was like one they just made a sequel to. Uh, it was the good. It was the better of the two that they made that they ended up making the sequel to. Yeah, one of them was okay, right? Yeah, it was good, and it was like I saw it in a uh, Sunday matinee. At noon, mm-hmm. and I was the only person in the theater, <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, it's kind of scary, right? Yeah. <laughs> the only other time I saw a movie alone in a theater was Kangaroo Jack. When I, <laughs> that I, was scary too. <laughs> I, well, I snuck in. I had just uh, I had watched a move, uh, one other movie. It just it's a theater in Brooklyn called the Pavilion, uh-huh. uh, and it's like a four like three or four story uh, right. theater. Yeah. And like nobody's nobody's up there watching, so I just like would watch. <laughs> uh, you know, I watched Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, and then I was listening outside the door, having heard Kangaroo Jack or has, having seen Kangaroo Jack once already. Oh, really? Yeah, I saw it <laughs> twice in the theater. Uh, snuck in the second time. Oh, you uh, forgive yourself for that too. <laughs> <laughs> it was I. I that's another story altogether. I <laughs> I do forgive myself for that, but we had so much fun watching that. So uh, Evil Dead 2 had a budget of uh, about three and a half million bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a few tidbits here. I'm sure you know all of this, but for the benefit of the listener, uh, Stephen King uh, basically talked Dino De Laurentiis into financing this movie because he loved Evil Dead so much. Yeah. And he was like, you really should finance this film. Mm-hmm. Like the Sam Raimi guy is really... He's, he's got it. Yeah. They were having a hard time securing financing because Evil Dead was a success, but not a huge success. Right. And then their second movie, which uh, Sam Raimi co-wrote with the Coen brothers, Crime Wave, was a pretty massive flop. Have you seen that? I haven't, but I— I haven't either. I'm really intrigued by it, though. I have a friend, Pete Mueller, who's a cartoonist in Madison, who stands by that. He's really? a huge fan of—yeah, uh, he's a huge fan of Crime Wave. Yeah, I need to check that out because— I mean, there's so much talent there. It, yeah. There's got to be something there. Sure. I mean, it, Louise Lasser, Bruce Campbell. Uh, it's a, you know. Yeah. And, and the, the Coen brothers. brothers. Yeah. And, and Sam Raimi. And I've seen every other Coen Brothers movie. Why wouldn't I see this? Well, I mean, for yeah. a long time, it was hard to find. But, um, but uh, Scott Spiegel, who co-wrote this, um, I did not realize, but apparently at the time, they, uh, he and Raimi shared a house with Joel and Ethan Coen, Fran McDormand, Holly Hunter, and Kathy Bates. Yeah. That's nuts. That is crazy. It's just like, it's like. Yeah, in fact, they, one of the characters, Bobby Joe, was actually written kind of with uh, Holly Hunter in mind. Yeah, I saw that. Like there was a there's a great uh, tidbit on the audio commentary where uh, Sam Raimi says you know, he walked out. You know, he's used to seeing uh, Holly Hunter like hang out wearing sweats and reading scripts. And right. one day he walks out and he sees she's like sort of dressed up and he's like, "Oh, Holly, you look really good." And she's uh-huh. like, "I am auditioning for the role of a prostitute, Sam. I don't <laughs> to consider that a compliment." <laughs> It's like, oh, all right. <laughs> I was, I really wanted to see this movie with Holly Hunter and Fran McDormand and Kathy Bates in it. Like, they all live together. Why, like, yeah, why how, how great would that have been? <laughs> I mean, not to knock any of the actors, but right. they're all pretty yeah. second rate. Well, okay. I, <laughs> Is that fair to say? Or I no? have a. I have a, a rating for them. Okay, should we talk about the plot before we get into the actors? Because I do sure. have like uh, I do have a very strong opinion about yeah 
uh, two of the actors. Okay. Well, I mean, I have a strong opinion about all, all the actors, but <laughs> we, um, we can jump around. We can do it out of order. It doesn't matter. Okay. Well, this is freeform radio. So let's talk about. Well, let's talk about like the whole idea of Evil Dead was four <clears throat> uh, four friends go to a cabin mm-hmm. or five friends go to a cabin. The, the first Evil Dead. Yeah, the first sure. Evil Dead, and an evil force possesses. They find a tape recorder with a an audio recording of the Book of the Dead. Yeah. They play it and summon this evil force who apparently, you know, I don't know why it ever went away, really, because it was summoned once before enough right. to and be it- on audio. <laughs> anyway, nitpicking. Uh, I mean, it's kind of – it is also fun to nitpick, though. Let's well, be honest. Sometimes it's If fun. it's in jest, <laughs> yeah. it, it can be fun, but just not one of those guys that's like, meh, yeah. meh. Sneering at it. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, – you know, the evil force comes and, mm-hmm. like, possesses and kills, you know, all of them except for Bruce Campbell, who right. at the very end is, like, the evil force breaks through the cabin and, like, hits him square, and that's that's where it ends. You right. don't know what happens. That's right. Ash. Uh, yeah, Ash. Uh, this Evil Dead 2 kind of, like, recaps everything. It's funny because, like, it is such a taut – it's, like, only 87 minutes long. Yeah, it gets started very fast. Yeah. You get, like, 40 seconds of exposition with a little uh, – the sort of – Swirly. Yeah, the swirly yeah. background. <laughs> which and is the, just great. Yeah, which is beautiful. Legend has it. Yeah. It was written by the Dark Ones. <laughs> Necronomicon Ex Mortis. It's, roughly translated <laughs> the Book of the Dead. It's just so fun. Yeah. Um, so there's 40 seconds of exposition. Yeah. And then it's, like, two minutes of credits. And then there – it cuts to a couple, Ash and Linda. Uh-huh. Different Linda from the first movie because right. they couldn't get her back in, yeah. apparently. Uh, driving to the cabin. Oh, incidentally, they wanted to just use footage from the original, but they had it had been licensed to so many territories right. that they couldn't get I heard that. the yeah they couldn't get the rights to it. So they just like all right, we'll just reshoot. Yeah, yeah. With two people instead of five. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so they go uh, the bridge. Yeah, it's, it's like that car and that bridge is just so iconic. Yeah, now all these years later, it is. It's like it's so. Uh, I mean, it looks like a model, but it's so beautiful. And yeah, it's just like it's and it really. What is it? Do, you, how, do think, you know how they did that? I think that's a model. I think that's just that must. That's a model. The second one where the bridge is destroyed is yeah. a matte painting. Okay, but where it looks uh, like a giant claw. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, it's really well done. Um, so. Yeah, so they, like, have another 40 seconds of dialogue where they explain that they're going to this cabin and they hope it's the owners don't come back. Mm-hmm. They go into the cabin. Uh, she starts changing. Oh, he gives her this. I'm this a necklace. man and you're a woman. At least last time I checked. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also this great scene of him playing piano. Oh, it's man. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Can we just talk about Bruce Campbell for one second? So good. Like... One of the best um, physical actors and face actors, like, in the history of movies, I think. Yeah. Have I mean, ever... the whole sequence with the hand, which we'll get to in more detail, I, I think you, you take it for granted how well done that is and how great he is. Every time I watch it, I'm amazed. But have you ever have you ever met Bruce Campbell? I have not. I have an autographed picture that a friend got me mm-hmm. many years ago that I cherish. I, I've never met him. I, uh, I like— Myself and some other people co-wrote a vampire book uh-huh. about eight years ago, maybe nine, ten years ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah. What's the name of it? Uh, the New Vampire's Handbook. Right. A guide. Uh, you know, basically, it's a it's a how-to book uh, by the vampire Miles Proctor. It's still in print, oddly enough. I don't. Yeah, you can get it right. Yeah, you can. I'm, I'm surprised it's still in print, though. Um, but you know, it's good for what it is. Uh-huh. Um, I'm. I stand by it. Uh, we did a lot of research in that. Yeah. Um, but. So we were do I was we were doing as much promoting as we could. So we went to some horror conventions, and we went to I went with uh, to a horror convention with my friend Janet, and we got up like early morning because we're like let's go to the gym. Let's just do, which is sort of a weird not yeah. sounds strange uh, <laughs> for me to do that, but it's like so we're on the second floor of this hotel. We push the button. And because it's like, we're, I mean, we could have just taken the stairs. It would have been so much easier to do that. But we push the button and the elevator door opens and Bruce Campbell is in there. Wow. And we're just like, oh, <laughs> I just felt really embarrassed because I'm just like, oh, we're just t- I'm like, I apologize. It's just too early in the morning for us. We just didn't even think about it. And he's like, well, the good thing is we're, we'll still get to where we're going. <laughs> and he was very gracious about it. And that was my that was my only encounter with him. And, you know. I really want to like pick Hodgman's brain about his Campbell experience. Yeah, because he's had a couple, I think. Well, right? he repped his book, I think. He, oh, that's right. And I'm just uh, that had to be either really fun or just one of those things where it's just uh, maybe he, he writes a little bit about it in his new book. Actually, I have to read. You mean uh, you mean uh, medallion medallion status, status available now at finer bookstores. <laughs> Bit.ly, all capitals. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I just finished it. It's it's a really wonderful book, oh, actually. Excellent. Uh, should... So. Back to the plot points, I guess. Mm. 
they had they got this set up, and uh, we meet the new uh, Linda, right? Right. Meet the new Linda. Terrible hair. Terrible hair. <laughs> On the new Linda. Pretty good. I mean, pretty good actress. Not great, but she's, no, she's, she's fine. fine. Sure. Um, I mean, she's not really doing a whole lot in it. She, like, he plays the tape. She gets possessed, or mm-hmm. she, like, gets removed from the house, then yeah. gets possessed. Yeah. And she doesn't even, like, try to, she's, like, sort of, like, menacing him, like, like sort of, like, almost Frankenstein style, like, his arms uh-huh. stretched out. And she jumps, he grabs a shovel and knocks her head yeah. clean off. this is in the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. As they refer to it as, uh, recap the decap. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, and we also get our first um, look in, in the early on of the uh, the, the board cam, which mm. uh, I'm sure you know about this. But for people listening, all those shots of with a camera running through the woods, what they did was they just mounted a camera on a, a board and ran with it. And yeah, two one person on each end. Yeah, you hold it low to the ground. Yeah. It, it has a sort of shaky look, so it's not steady cam at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, it's so effective, and it and it became such a Raimi staple. And then later, a Coen Brothers staple, like it's all over Raising Arizona. Yeah, that same exact you know technique. It's so it's interesting. I mean, because I think that's the the good thing is that Raimi just was playing around with eight millimeter and super eight mm-hmm. cameras for so long that he's just like, ah, oh, let's try this, let's try right. this. So it's like it, the stakes were so low that he just had a good sense of what would what could be done with them. Yeah, and it's the board cam is all throughout this movie and some of the best stuff. Yeah. Uh, when it's, you know, the, my, one of my favorite sequences is when it, it starts in the woods and goes all the way through, busting through the doors of the cabin. Uh-huh. And then Bruce Campbell is spinning through the forest <laughs> and then against the tree and finally into the puddle. Oh, that scene. And they, I have no idea how they did that. I, I read up on it. They, uh, Bruce Campbell was like mounted to like it's sort of an iron cross. Wow. Uh, he died for our sins. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Chuck's parents. Uh <laughs> But they he, don't uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so he sort of mounted to an iron cross. It was on a crane and it was like spinning. So they really did. So spin they him. really did. They had a. Th- it was like they shot this part in South Carolina. It was a th- North Carolina. No, well, this one they shot in South Carolina. Oh, that, that actual scene. Yeah, oh, okay. it was like a, a three quarter mile stretch of road. Gotcha. And they shot it. They undercranked so it like it would speed up. It took uh-huh. twenty minutes to drive this three quarter mile with them spinning it in like. He'd be whacked with branches. Yeah, and, so they uh, set all that up? Yeah, and apparently this shoot took all day wow. to do it. So Bruce Campbell's, you know, was strapped to— Spinning. Uh, yeah, oh my God. <laughs> it looks so good, though. It does. And then he, like, crashes down to the ground. It's just so—yeah, uh, it's so amazing how, like, the camera tricks they used and yeah, how the creativity they was just off the charts. Yeah. They were inventing stuff on the fly. Sure, and it's easy—you know, it's easy to, like, set up a camera in front of, like, a horror action. Yeah. But— they conveyed it with these with these great camera tricks and these great like you know practical effects yeah. that were uh, that really sort of like set you a little bit off off kilter. Yeah, and it, it was just so original and fresh. Um, a lot of this stuff has been copied uh, in a much more slick fashion over the years. Yeah, but that original stuff. I mean, this is in the eighties. Yeah, kind of mid to late eighties. Uh, I do want to talk about the cabin real quick. And again, I'm sure you know this stuff, but they shot. Uh, in Wadesboro, North Carolina, mm-hmm. largely. So I'm in Michigan. But the Steven Spielberg had shot The Color Purple <laughs> in Wadesboro. Mm-hmm. So they used the big farmhouse from The Color Purple as their production offices. They built the exterior facade of the cabin. Not facade, just the, you know, the, the, the cabin without an interior, mm-hmm. basically, uh, in the woods. 
and then built everything else, the interior, on a stage well, not a stage, inside of a, high, a junior high school. In a gymnasium in the J.R. Faison Junior That's High School. Right. But uh, I, I was, you know, I started to to dig in a little bit about the cabin and, like, is it still there? And I'm sure you know this stuff, but, you know, it eventually just sort of crumbled but was just left there. Yeah. And the homeowner now uh, said he didn't care about it, didn't, and he allowed this evil dead fan to go in and just take what he wanted. And a few years ago, this dude got a box truck and salvaged whatever he could from from the cabin, oh and my God. and at some point the a lot of it was just rotted and like kind of done, and you couldn't do anything with. But he did get the the triangular exterior facade mm-hmm. and and put it on eBay for uh, fourteen hundred bucks. Wow! And I you know you don't get a follow up on eBay stuff. It's um, you could probably track it down, but I have a I have a I have a I, I'm a subscriber to a service <laughs> that allows me to do just that. Actually, well, find out because all I saw last I saw was it's up and there's one bid for fourteen hundred dollars and uh-huh. I never heard anything else. Yeah, well, the other, and the interesting thing is like when do you uh, when the force like is chasing Bruce Campbell around the Campbell? You know, it's yeah clearly. The the interior is not is bigger than it, it's like a TARDIS. It looks a lot bigger on the inside than it yeah. does on the ex, on, on the outside. But when that like they use a lot a wide angle lens and you can see that there's no you know there's no ceiling. Yeah, uh, and you can kind of see some lighting rigs and you can cut like oh really? I, I mean it's only after I watched the like I watched the uh, commentary uh-huh. that I noticed it because I was like oh Did they yeah it out? yeah because it's like you 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 are so sucked into oh, it yeah. Um, you know, yeah, it's I, also, didn't, I didn't notice any of that. Yeah, it's funny that Bruce Campbell, that Ash is able to outrun the evil force and just sort of like <laughs> quickly duck into the, right. the root cellar. <laughs> well, I think the fact that they built it on a stage, um, it sort of lent itself to uh, this quality that I really like about the movie and that it did look kind of fake. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't feel like a real cabin in the woods, mm-hmm. which it is it works better for some reason. Even though it is almost uh, – it's – not a perfect replica, but it is a very close replica of the cabin they shot, the yeah. real cabin they used in the first Evil Dead. Right. Um, so, yeah, they did, you know, they did all kinds of like, they built it with all kinds of trick walls uh-huh. and they, you know, they built the, the, it was like two levels so you could actually have a root cellar underneath the cabin. So, yeah. Oh, gosh, there's so many. You, you can see the money, like it, it doesn't look slick, but it doesn't look cheap. No. Like you can see the three and a half million bucks mm-hmm. uh, in a very Sam Raimi way. But you can tell it wasn't a bunch of friends in the woods with $500,000, you know. Right. In Evil Dead, you can kind of see that, but it's still yeah. pretty – I mean – still uh, works. Yeah, it still works. It's pretty effective. Um, so, yeah. So, meanwhile, Linda uh, – okay, right. He buries Linda. Then yeah. he gets possessed, um, drives it away because he sees this cheap necklace that he got for uh, – for Linda, it's uh-huh. a little magnifying glass. I think that was one of the three original props that made it from Evil Dead. The tape recorder was another, right? Tape recorder, uh-huh. uh, the necklace, and the clock. Okay. The three. Um, right. The tape recorder was actually belonged to Sam Raimi's dad. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. <laughs> real to real, so yeah. cool. Uh, Panasonic. Uh, <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah, I don't know why I know, remembered that. That's like one of those extraneous uh-huh. details. It's just like, oh, it's a Panasonic. <laughs> okay, file that away uh, and force out some some math that I might need later. Um, so he he hauls ass out of there, and that's another great sequence: is the reverse car, yeah, shot uh, when he gets to the bridge that has been destroyed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like he gets there, and there's a, there's a blue screen. That blue screen is so cheesy, but 
works so well. Yeah. Where he's like hits him in the foreground and this giant setting sun right behind him. Uh-huh. It's just uh oh it's so good. Yeah, it does it looks great. It's he looks terrified. Uh-huh. Um and then they uh you know uh cuts to the then we have like forty more seconds of exposition where they introduce the characters of Ed and uh of Ed and uh Annie. Noby, the professor's daughter. Right. And the professor's daughter. Tube and, socks and the uh, cardigan yeah. sweater. Oh, my God. It looks like right out of the preppy, <laughs> preppy handbook. Well, it's funny, too, because, like, I I think Annie is, like, uh, Sarah Barry played Annie. I uh-huh. think she's really good. Uh, I think she's, well, pretty good. Her scream, though, is A+. plus. Yeah, yeah. She's a good horror movie actor, I think. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Richard Domler, Domler, Domler. No, no, I think no, He's not great. <laughs> Ed is not great. Um, but he is, uh, yeah, he went on to be a QVC host, and it kind of oh, shows. Oh, really? The whole idea behind him. They That's wa- so perfect. They wanted somebody that seemed like he could, uh, seemed like he was sort of like this sort of little bit macho, yeah. a little bit like a tough guy that could sort of save the day. I can fight an evil force. Yeah. And so when he gets killed almost immediately, it's yeah. like, it has more <laughs> of an impact. But he didn't come off that way. He just seemed really dated and, you know. Yeah. Uh, That's he, okay. He though. seemed he, like a QVC host. He seemed like an 80s uh, high school villain. Yeah. Oh, that's the line I wrote down. It's like, what has he found in the Book of the Dead? That's that's more. That's definitely more stilted than he did. So I'm I'm barely. Yeah, probably nothing, but possibly the doorway to another world. And he has this sort of like, hmm, like nods and huh. Yeah, he's pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, another thing that really hit me in this film too was uh, how great the sound design is, uh, and not only the sound. Because the sound is amazing, mm-hmm. but his use of silence, yeah. contrasting with the sound, is just so effective. There's so many shots that are completely silent. Yeah. That one great 360-degree shot in silence yeah. that looks around the whole scene and then back on his face mm-hmm. again. Uh, and there's another couple toward the end, too. Yeah. And you're just—David uh, Lynch is always someone whose sound design I really love a lot. And I think that he—I uh, I have a feeling he's influenced a little bit by some of this stuff. yeah. It's amazing how many people are actually like you, you know I, I I have a really weird uh relationship with uh, with art like music and uh and film like I like this is like it, with a lot of like film I should say not most not all of them not like Star Wars where I'm like I have this cute little indie it's called Star Wars <laughs> that I really love a lot but you know you I have this relationship with some movies like Evil Dead 2 where I'm always like oh he saw that that's so crazy mm-hmm. um but apparently uh, James Cameron, uh, when it was in the theaters, pulled up to Bill Paxton's house in his car, like knocked on his door. He's like, come on, we got to go see this movie. It's called Evil Dead 2. No way. <laughs> yeah. And so that's, uh, yeah, Bill Paxton told uh, wow. told him that later uh, when they were working on A Simple Plan together. Uh-huh. Um, oh, another movie I loved. Yeah, that was so good. He's such a good director. Uh, yeah. I read that book too. I was really into Simple Plan. I never read the book. Who is it? Do you remember who the author was? I don't remember. I want to say his name was Scott something. It was good. Okay. Um, and I read it after the movie because I like the movie so much. Mm-hmm. Okay. I miss Bridget Fonda. Yeah. What? Ha- why isn't she doing more? She. Oh, she's probably enjoyed Holly- being a family person and being okay. a mom, and and you know she's married to Danny Elfman, so. Oh yeah, she doesn't. Need- she didn't need to work. <laughs> and there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to be said for. Yeah, she's she's not ro- acting. She's rolling in Oingo Boingo money. Um- <laughs> yeah, that's where he made all this show. <laughs> Um, yeah, but then, uh, we get the great sequence with Linda coming back from the dead after having, coming back once previously, where they have that great, uh, 
dance, like where her her corpse rises out of her like headless corpse rises yeah. out of the grave. This is the first stop motion, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like an interesting thing about the the stop motion. This whole dance scene was choreographed by one of Sam uh, one of Sam Raimi's uh, like dance and like you know uh, theater instructors uh-huh. in college. I thought you were going to say by Paula Abdul. <laughs> <laughs> no, Tony Basil worked on it. Um, and then it was. Uh, the stop motion was done by a man named Doug Beswick, mm-hmm. who you might have known uh, from such other stop motion classics as Gumby and Davy and Goliath. Wow. Uh, yeah. Which really? is so weird to think that the guy that made Davy and Goliath, <laughs> <laughs> like he made a, uh, you know, that he worked on a sort of a nude, rotting uh, corpse dancing around. Yeah, I guess it was a pretty short list of people to go to. Yeah. Well, he also worked on Star Wars. It wasn't like he was uh-huh. exclusively working on Christian uh, claymation shows. Right. <laughs> But he, you know, he did a lot of other uh, work prior to that. Uh, But yeah, and then like she, so she comes back. There's this great scene where she's like her severed head Mm -hmm. uh, or he actually, she grabs him and is like, dance with me and starts like bashing his head into a board. (laughs) Yeah. And then he's like, well, it zooms out of his like screaming face to Uh reveal he's just sitting in an armchair. So it was a dream. Or was it? Because then a severed head falls into his lap, bites him on the hand. And then he's like. (laughs) Running around, smashing. Oh, that's that's one of the great sequences of this movie. So it's <laughs> such. He's got the head on his hand. Yeah, it's like such great <laughs> physical comedy of him, like just smashing and smashing. Uh, oh man, I have all caps written down. Scene where she bites his hand, <laughs> <laughs> and that's where you also get one of the great moments of the movie, uh, work shed. Work shed. Do you know the little uh, little tidbit about the work shed line? It, well, the Kurt Russell thing. Yeah. Yeah, we'll tell everyone. It's well, a great story. Uh, Kurt Russell, well, uh, Bruce Campbell became a successful actor uh, as, uh, well, well after this as well. I mean, he was a successful actor so far as I'm concerned. But, you know, he worked with uh, Kurt Russell on Escape from L.A., Mm -hmm. which was the watchable but not great sequel to Escape from New York. Yeah, the sequel that's years later that somehow looked worse than the one many years before. Yeah, like the (laughs) giant surf, surfing that giant wave. Yeah, Um, it was bad. um, But, you know— so the first thing that Kurt Russell says to Bruce Campbell on the set is, hey, say work shed. That's <laughs> so funny. Because it's just like such a, like the sound of it is just boosted so much. It's a like, work shed. And it's like his lips don't sync up with it. And yeah. So, I mean, if you haven't seen the movie, it is, it's a part where they clearly just did some, uh, some ADR, some additional dialogue recording and dubbed in him saying work shed, which <laughs> they didn't even really need to do. Uh, I mean, the idea was he just wanted to telegraph to the audience he was going to the workshop. He was going to the workshop, <laughs> which he could have just done. But it's it became known as such a sort of hokey, uh, bad dub yeah. that, you know, years later, Kurt Russell kind of gave him shit about it, which I <laughs> love that, you know, it became such a thing that Kurt Russell knew about it. Yeah, and Kurt Russell also saw and enjoyed uh, Evil Dead, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. That's know? fantastic. Um, but it, it it does – that's where we get to The Shed, which is a very uh, key set in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, The, the Shed is amazing. Uh, you've got Freddy Krueger's gloves hanging above the door, mm-hmm. which is a nice little Easter egg. Yeah. Because in Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Nancy falls asleep watching The Evil Dead on TV. So I heard this was just a little bit of, uh, I don't even want to say the words quid pro quo right now. <laughs> but uh, a little thank you in return to yeah. Wes Craven. Well, prior to that, in Evil Dead, they had a, uh, in the basement, they had a 
torn a poster of the Hills Have Eyes, which is oh, a so it torn all started in half. There, huh? It started there, but they I think they were sort of doing that as a, a little bit of an fu to to Wes Craven because in uh. the Hills Have Eyes there was a torn Jaws poster. <laughs> and like, oh, they thought how they, deep does it go? Well, they read that as like he's he's saying he's like the new master of horror. Well, this is uh, you know better than Spielberg. Uh. Well, nuts to that. And then so they did the torn Hills Have Eyes poster, and then they're like, ah, oh, that was just that's probably not even what Wes Craven meant. No. That no, he not was at all. Not, like ripping jaws in half. No, it's a uh, you know. I think when you're twenty in your early twenties, sure. you take I've taken umbrage to so many stupid things, and right. now I'm looking back, I'm just like, yeah, what was I so mad about? It's like uh, everyone is the enemy. <laughs> um, work shed, yeah, work shed, and then <laughs> comes the other great la- line, chainsaw. Yeah, he has Linda's head in the vice, and he's like. Pulls back the curtain, sees a chalk outline oh, where a chainsaw so should great. be. Chainsaw. And then all of a sudden the door bursts open and it's like the headless corpse like yeah. jiggling up and down with a chainsaw <laughs> over its head. <laughs> I love the chalk outline thing. Just that to me em- embodies what I love about Sam Raimi's sense of fun and play. Yeah. Um, to have a chalk outline, <laughs> you know, f- just to indicate that there was once a chainsaw there mm-hmm. is so unbelievable and so silly, but just so fun. And it works because you just don't even think about it because you're so wrapped up in the moment. Yeah. It's like, I mean, I think that's the thing. You should all, I mean, if you're making a film, you should always just be like, give the audience, like, you know, you should. Be confident in your ability to make the audience suspend their disbelief, mm-hmm. you know, because otherwise it's like, oh, that's too fake. It's like, well, nobody's going to care if you're, you know, either laughing yourself silly or pooping your pants. So, right. Um, but yeah, but the the headless Linda was such a great, like they, it was just a mannequin, pretty much a mannequin on a pole. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, well, well, very expensive, well-crafted mannequin. Right. They were jiggling up and down on a pole. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. And spinning around. And uh, yeah. And then they... Uh, he pulls out the, you know, he pulls out the chainsaw, pulls off her arm with the chainsaw. Uh-huh. <laughs> Linda reverts back. Uh, that's an interesting thing because, like, there's a lot of continuity problems with, like, the amount of gore that's on Ash. Always. Yeah. It's fine. It is. It's like you don't, like, if you're looking, again, if you're looking to poo-poo it, you can find something to poo-poo Are they continuity problems, though, or did did he just not care and it just was part of the thing? Apparently, he they did care, uh, but they just, they didn't. No, they shot it out of order, so they didn't know okay. how much would be— So they be. really were continuity errors, Yeah, and the continuity, like the—what is the continuity—it's not the continuity director, but the continuity— The scripty, script yeah, yeah. supervisor. She apparently uh, was just constantly mortified. She's like, we can't do this. This That furniture is out of nobody. And, and yeah. Sam Raimi's like, ah, nobody's going to do right. this. Right. I mean, uh, most notably, there's so much blood in some of these scenes, mm-hmm. um, like Shining-style— Coming from the walls, coming from the cellar. Yeah. Uh, the green blood that goes all over everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, the for, black bile blood. The, the, oh, man, so effective. Yeah. But none of that stuff in subsequent shots is on the walls. And I just kind of thought that they just didn't care. Yeah. I think that's like after a certain point, you don't care. And yeah. it's like you can't keep a slick, wet, you know, uh, slick, no. wet surface around if you're going to be acting on it. It's, yeah, for days and days and weeks. Yeah. And then, uh, it cuts like it cuts. It goes back to her. She back to, comes back to real Linda. Yeah, she goes back to real Linda and begs for her life, and then it cuts back to possess Linda. And she's like, her mouth is covered with bile because there was a scene where she spat black bile at him. Yeah, but I think it's actually more effective that she didn't spit the black bile yeah. in the version we saw. 
I'm sorry. Now it's good. like I, there's so many little things that I can just like <laughs> get into. Well, I think uh, one cool choice in that scene was when he did finally chainsaw the head. It's you just see it in shadow. Yeah, which was very effective and cool. Yeah, a lot of the there's a lot of real violence, but it's a lot of it is implied as well. They were shooting for an R rating, which is why they use like black bile right. and, and green blood, and they had a yellow blood at one point. Uh, but they finally were like, oh, this is not going to be. You know, this is not going to be a an R-rated movie. Mm-hmm. And so they released it. That's And so they set up a fake company called Rosebud Releasing. Uh, it wasn't a fake company. It was a mm-hmm. real company. Um, because if you were working with the MPAA, you were forbidden from releasing an unrated movie. So they had to fa- set up a dummy company to release it in theaters. And of course, you know. As an unrated? Yeah, as unrated. And it's, you know, if you know much about I don't know how it is now but at the time you know in the 80s and 90s you could not like a lot of the chains wouldn't touch unrated movies Mm -hmm. so you couldn't get it into like the Marcus Amphitheater or the Marcus uh, Theaters or any of those uh, small chains small or large chains because they wouldn't release it so it had to be in like independent theaters which ultimately hurt the you know hurt their bottom line right although it did um, I think it ended up grossing about six million bucks which is you know Makes, close, close to double their money, which yeah. isn't bad. Yeah. Um, and then much more in... in at home video. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, they kept alive a, an entire uh, an entire video company for, you know, they kept alive... They, uh, Evil Dead movies kept Anchor Bay afloat for about oh, a decade. Oh, is that what it was? Oh, Anchor yeah. Bay. Yeah, they were just like... Because they had like... They would just keep releasing different editions of, right. of the Evil Dead movies. <laughs> Here's the Book of the Dead version. Here's the single disc. Here's the double disc. Um, uh, yeah. So the Linda scene, though, that also introduces um, what would become a a repeated thing with Ash and Bruce Campbell having these great one-liners. Mm-hmm. And I think the first one is right there where he goes, you're going down. <laughs> and Ash becomes kind of this superhero mm-hmm. uh, throughout the, the, the three films, like more and more, and just gets known for these iconic lines, especially in Army of Darkness yeah. is where it goes, you know. Like to eleven, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's like a lot of he's channeling a lot of Kurt, uh, Clint Eastwood. It seems, like yeah, his, his voice drops down a little bit, like, and it gets a little bit raspy. Um, the blood on the light bulb shot too, I really appreciated. Yeah, and that uh, when the blood splashes up and hits the light, yeah, bulb. and then you they, you know they put the red uh, the red gel over the lights and everything. Yeah, and it's really really cool. It's fun. It's uh, and then then they go in. and It's like well, the thing about like the first. The first 35 minutes of the movie, uh, of the first 35 minutes, 21 minutes is just Bruce Campbell. Yeah. Like, it's just him acting with, like, puppets or acting mm-hmm. to him, like, with himself. And it's just, like, uh, and that includes, like, the two minutes of credits. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was just a really, you know, a lot of this is just, like, little sight gags that they would get, you yeah. know, that they pulled up. Like, the rocking chair, mm-hmm. the creaking rocking chair that's just, like... You know, a creaking rocking chair just seems so hokey in a ghost movie, but at the same time, it just like it swivels and yeah. it just starts creaking. And the sound design is it's both a like a creak and Sam Raimi's voice below, like uh-huh. so, so it sounds extra <laughs> creepy. There's like the mirror gag, which you don't expect, where yeah, he's like, "I'm fine, I'm fine." He's looking in a mirror. <laughs> That's so good. And then he just like reaches out of the like he he or. An evil version of him reaches uh-huh. out the meter is like, 
we just cut up our girlfriend with a chainsaw. (laughs) Does that sound fine to you? Yeah, it's so good, man. This movie just gets more and more bonkers as it goes. Yeah. Uh, Well, then we meet um, Bobby Joe and... Uh, who's who's the other guy? Who's the overall uh, guy? Jake. Jake. This is where I would like to put in my uh-huh. my pitch. The secret sauce of this movie is Bobby Joe, played by uh, Cassie Wesley. Mm-hmm. She is so good in this. <laughs> like you're just like she went on to like be a soap actor. And oh it's really? Like, yeah. It's like it's like she knows. Like she's one of the people that knows exactly what kind of movie she's making. Uh-huh. She's just like. She plays it kind of serious, but she's also, like, overblown, like, you know. That first tobacco spit she oh, does. so is, good, yeah. It's so funny and kind of corny. What do you want to go there for? Yeah, and she doesn't None look, I business. mean, she yeah. appears miscast because she doesn't look like anyone who would be with Jake mm-hmm. or any, you know, she doesn't look like some woodland redneck. Mm-hmm. You know, she's kind of dolled up and sort of attractive. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but it works somehow. Yeah, it works so well. I think, like, that's what I mean. It's like you don't. You don't think about her as being out of place in it. Right. I mean, it must kind of, you know, I've you've, you've spoken on the show about how Southern accents are yeah. often terrible. poorly done and terrible, <laughs> and so that must kind of like rub you the wrong way a little bit to hear well, that. Well, but it's so it was so like kind of corny and mm-hmm. it, it didn't bother me. Yeah. Um, and they also set up a, a just a really. Uh, there's also a great line where Jake is like. Oh, there's a there's a trail. I can take you there for forty five. And Bobby Joe nudges him, a hundred dollars. <laughs> and it just sets up. She's like, "Well, I'll tell you what. You take my bags. You've got a deal." Right. And he thinks it's just one little bag. It turns out to be this giant trunk. Uh-huh. It was introduced. Oh, that's like the smoky. That's like Chekhov's trunk. Right. They introduced it only so they could have a gag later where Jake is like hauling it over this trail. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. Uh, well, then we get to the hand stuff. Yeah. Uh, which is that whole sequence, like I said, is so easy to take for granted because you've seen it so many times. But how brilliant Bruce Campbell is in that scene and how he animates his hand in such a way that you forget it's part of his body. Mm-hmm. It becomes a character. Yeah. It's like the way it's like sort of flopping around, yeah. like grabbing at the grabbing at these plates, which are apparently unglazed. They were unglazed pottery, so they would break easily, uh-huh. more easily. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, <laughs> like just so smashing good. plates over his head. And then... When he's finally knocked out, the he's just like gonna like the hand is gonna like hit him with one more plate, and then it's like, Whoa! and they're like, uh-huh. and it's like spies in finger quotes uh, a meat cleaver, cleaver. Yeah. and it's like then it starts just like <laughs> it's like the way his hand was, and then it just drags him. Oh, it's so good! And then like it drags him right when he's about at the meat cleaver. Bruce Campbell stabs him in the hand. Uh-huh. He's like, "Who's <laughs> laughing now?" <laughs> Starts a chainsaw, cuts off his own hand. Who's laughing now? Oh, so ah! It's like you don't see the <laughs> violence, but you just see the blood splattering yeah, on his. So effective. Yeah. Uh, I thought the, um, the one thing about this movie that I loved was, uh, and it, for some reason it doesn't take me out of it, but I love in movies like this where I'm constantly picturing um, the manpower off screen doing, mm-hmm. doing stuff. Yeah. Like in this case, the people, like the two guys that are clearly – shoving Bruce Campbell across the floor inch by inch <laughs> while the hand appears to move him. Mm-hmm. Or later on when he and, uh, I think it's he and Jake are laying on top of the cellar door. And somebody like having to And someone's underneath it, like yeah. pushing these guys up. Yeah. I just love picturing like, that's just hands-on filmmaking that I just love so much. You know, mm-hmm. practical effects, someone just off camera like pulling a body that you never see, and right. it's just some of my favorite stuff in film. Well, it's interesting too because as a PA, you you there's a 
you know, you're there a lot of times if you're a PA, I assume you're just there like, well, this is a job and I got to do this. And, right. you know, it's hard to be like, I can't understand what the vision is, but okay, I'll just shove on this this uh-huh. door. Uh, but it, yeah, it you all get looks to do like- some cool stuff, man. I got to do some really cool shit as a PA. What's the most fun you had? Oh, I mean, I got to work on a Michael Bay commercial one time that was a <laughs> lot of fun because you are invisible as a PA to Michael Bay. He doesn't uh, turn his ire on you because you don't exist. Mm-hmm. So you can be a, you can have a front row seat to the madness and him screaming <laughs> at people and getting in like pitching these little baby fits on set. You can be four feet away. Just watching, and he doesn't even see you. He doesn't turn around and go, "You, what are you looking at?" Uh-huh. Like you just don't exist. So it was great. <laughs> um, but I got to do a lot of cool stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. I was oftentimes the guy off screen, you know, playing catch with the pro baseball player or <laughs> or whatever. You know, I got to play catch with Chipper Jones one time. <laughs> you know, he's one of my baseball heroes. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you, there's some some dude that's like our age or probably a little bit older right now. That's like, you know what? I was the guy who was. Shoving Bruce Campbell across the floor in Evil Dead 2. And, and the way horror conventions work, uh, that he guy probably has, probably has a table at those conventions. Just being like, guy, and people like, 20 bucks to get his signature. All right. Oh, that's so good. Uh, then we get the farewell to arms joke. Oh, gosh, yeah. Which is so on the nose and fun. It is. It is like, here's your new home. Right. Uh, he puts a bucket over the hand and puts a stack of books, including a farewell to arms. It's just... The other thing uh, Campbell does in this movie that's very impressive is he pulls off that amazing feat of acting that's so hard to do, which is talking to yourself. Yeah. Realistically. Even when it's like ludicrous dialogue, like, old double barrel here. Yeah. Gotta blow your butts to kingdom come. (laughs) See if we don't. It's so good. Only Bruce Campbell, I I feel like, could have pulled that off. Yeah. Even though he was kind of nobody at the time. Yeah. I mean, it's like you have to... Be very self-aware and very self-unaware at the same time where you're just yeah. like, I know what this is going to look like and uh-huh. I just have to be like, you know, I just have to not care. Well, uh, and he was so uh, – he was such a leading man that never became one. Yeah. Like so handsome and just – and big and broad-shouldered. Like he had it all. But he chose, like, to go this other route with his career. But he did carry two TV shows, you know? He was on well, Br- Briscoe County, County Jr. Which I really enjoyed, actually. And Jack of All Trades. I don't know about that. That was one of the – I mean, Sam Raimi had a long career after, you know, well, not after his movies because he still made movies. But mm-hmm. in the late, like the mid to late 90s, he made, like, Xena, uh, Warrior Princess. He made uh, right. Hercules, uh-huh. uh, Cleopatra 2025, uh uh, Jack of All Trades. What I think was that? One. They were all like what just, was Jack of All Trades. It was I like a syndicated others. action movie, and I, I or syndicated action series. I don't, huh. re- I don't remember anything about it. I just remember it was on, and I didn't really watch much of it, which I regret now. But do you watch, um, or did you watch the the TV show, the Ash TV show? I watched. I uh, I watched I did most not. of it. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't. It's good. I think it's really good. Really? I, yeah, I think one of the guys from Derek Comedy uh, writes for it. Derek Comedy is like. I can't remember his name, but there's D.C. Pearson, who's a young adult uh, novelist now, uh-huh. and uh, I keep, uh, this Donald Glover. Uh, <laughs> the voice of God. Thank you. Uh, because I was like, I was thinking about it. I was like, who? Because at first I was like, Corey Glover. I was like, no, Corey Glover's from Living Color. <laughs> Crispin Glover. No, it's not Crispin Glover. Uh, yeah, Donald Glover. Danny Glover? No, not Danny Glover. Um. Yeah, it's funny. The most... Yeah, I need to watch some of that TV show, though. I don't know why I didn't. I think it's really good. It's fun. It's a lot more comedy, and it's a lot, you know, it's a lot more comedy horror and, mm-hmm. you know, less horror than comedy. Um, 
But it's a fun, you know, it's a fun watch, and it's on Netflix right now. What do you think about the the transition from horror to comedy as this series progressed? Um, I think this is my favorite. I mean, this is my favorite of the series. Mm-hmm. I think this is like the the good. I think this is my favorite because it's like it's a good uh, bridge between the two, mm-hmm. between the like the straight horror, uh, the straight low budget horror of uh, the first, and like the the higher budget stop action mayhem of the of mm-hmm. the uh, the of third. Army of yeah, um, I really loved Army of Darkness. It's fun. I, I need to watch it again. Mm-hmm. I think it's like I think it's good, but it's just like it. It's also interesting because like I think. Um, the character of Ash really changed so much. Mm-hmm. Like they – I can't tell if they really – listening to the, the commentary track, it seems like they kind of hate Ash in a way. Like they think he's a – they don't mind putting him through all the uh-huh. the tortures because they – you know, it seems like they all just sort of think he's a, a, a dope. Yeah. But I never get that from from – you know, until Army of Darkness, you're like, oh, I, he's like a, just a giant blowhard. And, right. Uh, you know, but you don't get that from like the first two movies. He's just Yeah, like, I mean, they kind of make him into a superhero by the end of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, with his, his shirt ripped open and uh, the great sequence where he, uh, and when, you know, which we'll get to it here in a second. Yeah. But when he when he straps the chainsaw to his nub and cuts off the barrel of the shotgun yeah. and has everything rigged up. That whole MacGyver sequence. Oh, uh, this so is just like, Which is like, I would never, you know, know how to do that. Uh, I mean, I, if, I, if I were like, I mean, of course, I would never, you know, because it can't be done. But it's like, you know, just like having the presence of mind to actually like craft a, I mean, you know, let's, let's just skip that part. Okay. It's like a little <laughs> bit. Uh, but anyway. Um, well, in the timeline of the film, though, where the, the blood from the wall scene, when he shoots the hand. In the wall, and then just the, the fire hose of blood yeah. in several different spots mm-hmm. comes out at him. Right, and then they did some which were very, like, were in there where they had, like, uh, literally, like, hoses of blood, like, sh- shooting at him. But then they decided that wasn't enough, and so they <laughs> they built, I think when they went back to Michigan for reshoots, they did one where it was a, uh, they flipped the set 90 degrees. Uh-huh. He was, like... You just saw him. He was lying on a board or something like that, and they just had a fifty-five gallon drum with like a him. bag of like blood. They just like <laughs> ripped open. It's just like flooding him. I mean, that wow. really had to be hard on his uh, on his breathing. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. Like Bloodboarding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we had the laughing room sequence, right? With his, that was actually so fun. Based on a, it was based on a joke that they, you know, they were doing. Uh, the co-writer Scott Spiegel was doing this sort of like he had the gooseneck lamp and he's like <laughs> uh-huh. like just doing that to Sam Raimi just to make him laugh. He's like, we're going to put that in there. Oh, wow. And they did the whole thing. They, you know, turned the whole room and it is like both hilarious and it's really unsettling. Yeah, it is. It uh, works on both. Uh, I mean, unsettling like when the deer head comes alive. Yeah. Uh, but then so silly when Bruce Campbell's doing like the leg bends yeah. along with the lamp. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, he's laughing, he's laughing until finally he's just like stops laughing. He's just like starts screaming. Ah! Yeah. Ah! And then everything shuts, there's a noise outside. Everything shuts down. Yeah. Another use sh- of silence. Yeah. And he just shoots. Yeah. And then there's like silence, 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 opens the door and is tackled by Jake. Uh, but there's a great thing where he's like, he's clearly. As they pointed out in the director's commentary, like you can clearly see if you were standing at the door that somebody is charging at you mm-hmm. uh, for like three seconds, you'd be like, but he just like, even though 
I mean, I never thought about it right. uh, because it was just like it's so effective. As a, yeah, same. As a jump scare. <laughs> well, this is when everyone's brought back together, though. Yeah. And they all meet up or not brought back together, but introduced to each other. Uh, and we get Ash uh, locked in the basement with uh, Ted, Ted Raimi. <laughs> Henrietta. In a suit. Someone's in my fruit cellar. <laughs> Someone with a fresh soul. <laughs> You're really good at that stuff, man. <laughs> I love I love this movie so much. I've seen it so many times. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. But yeah, it's funny because, but this is the first, like, when I started prepping for uh, doing this, I've been watching it, I've, I've watched it with the commentary twice, I've uh-huh. watched it, like, like with full attention once, I've watched it in the background three or four times. That's why you're the best guest on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, because I work from home and I don't mind just... <laughs> you put in the work, man. Giving it my all. Um, but it's such a fun... Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is the first time this round of watching it was the first time I was like, oh yeah, that is obviously Ted Raimi. I right. could see him under there. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the Henrietta suit he wears is like this latex, like, mm-hmm. and it's not like modern latex. It was like an older- Super stuff. heavy. Yeah, super heavy. Yeah. And he had like bean bags full of lentils in there uh-huh. to give it like extra weight and like yeah, extra the jiggle. Belly. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, it took six hours, I think, to put it on. And then 
he couldn't, you know, so it's like if you're, I don't know, I, I just remember like a friend of mine worked, uh, my friend Griffin was Arthur on The Tick, uh, the new Tick series. Right. And he said that like when, that Peter Serafinowicz would have, he had his Tick suit. Uh-huh. And even something like that, which seems like it wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be a really difficult suit to wear, was hot as hell. And mm-hmm. so it's just like they had to keep the studio really cold and, you know, mm-hmm. in order to keep him like from passing out. Right. They didn't have that sort of luxury for Ted Raimi. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard legendary stories about the sweat that yeah. he created. Yeah. It was like there's one scene at the end where it's like he's spinning around uh-huh. and like uh, holding Annie and you can see sweat pouring from his ear. I saw that. That was sweat. It was sweat. It looks disturbing yeah. uh, because you don't know what it is. And there's also a giant rip in the ass that you can uh, oh, really? at that point. Yeah, the suit had been through so much. Yeah. If you look at it, you can just see like there's a big gap. Uh, <laughs> Well, it's a good place to <laughs> good place to have a rip. Exactly. Uh, we also get in that scene one of the great uh, campy kind of fun shots. And again, just an example of Sam Raimi's sense of fun and play when uh, the eyeball is popped out yeah. and travels across the room into Bobby Joe's mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just so great. They they ripped that off from a Three Stooges uh, show. Oh, really? Pretty directly. They're like, There's a lot of Three Stooges in this. Yeah. They're like uh, the Three Stooges are see, watching an opera singer, and they decide to like flip grapes at him. So they, uh-huh. they line up grapes on their elbows <laughs> and start like flipping them, and one just goes right into his mouth. Yeah. So that's uh, – but yeah, it's – and then they have you have the eyeball point of view. You oh, have, it's so great. It travels along with yeah. the eyeball. And and again, Bob – you know, the actor – what was her name who played Bobby Joe? Uh, the actor was Cassie Wesley. Yeah, I mean – Again, knowing what type of movie she's in, mm-hmm. the, her reaction in that shot was so spot on and perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she doesn't like. Ah! Ah! <laughs> yeah, and she is also, you know, and then when, uh, then when Ed uh, is a lot of the violence in this, the, a lot of the violence you see is just people being thrown against walls. It's like that's the yeah. only time you see uh, actual physical damage happening to people. Is when yeah, it's just... kind of true because a lot of the chainsaw stuff you see off screen or in shadow mm-hmm. or silhouette or whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, when Ed becomes possessed. Yeah, that's the, yeah. we are all the things that were and shall be again. <laughs> Such a great line. Uh, the creature work in it is really fantastic. Yeah. It's a great, it's a really good makeup work. It's uh Yeah, who did that? That would be, uh, what do I have it written down? Uh, Greg Nicotero is one of them. I think Mark... Oh, Mark Showstrom. I was like, what did I write there? But uh, they weren't like uh, Giallo uh, legends or anything like no, that? No, I think two of them had written uh, – two of them had worked on uh, Dawn of the Dead Okay. Uh, with George Romero and, uh, you know, I think one of them had actually worked on Evil Dead. Uh-huh. And they had never all worked together before. So, th- you know – but this was something they, they started production on it like something like – Three or four months beforehand, they just did all the casting. They mm. like did the molds of everybody, and uh, you know they did the molds of the the actors, and then they like did the casts of the the faces and mm. the masks and so on. It really looks good. Yeah, the evil Ed especially looks good. Like yeah. it's like he's just got those like multiple rows of teeth and yeah. his eyes. The eyes like being whited out were a big. That was kind of a big deal. Well, not a big deal, but you know the technology now. I. Th- believe is a lot better where they have sort uh-huh. of like soft shells which are like colored and you can put them in and it's and not see, that. see and you still see. Yeah. Back then they had what they called scleral shells. Right. Which were not, uh, which were basically like hard contact lenses except for they would fit most of the eyeball. It's like putting an eggshell over your eye. Yeah. Yeah. Except for under your eyelid. Right. Uh, 
and you couldn't see. So that's why a lot of the times, you know, there's a scene, uh, there's one scene where uh, evil Ash has to like grab Jake. Mm-hmm. There's like an elbow, you know, there's a hand like guiding his his hand because he can't see where it is. Yeah, you know? yeah. You can't see anything. And so when Ted Raimi is doing all that acting with these scleral shelves in, yeah. <laughs> he can't see anything. So he's like, he's like, I think he's like the, like it goes Ash, uh, like as far as like great actors, like Bruce Campbell, uh, Cassie Wexley, or Wesley, Ted Raimi, in my opinion. Those are the three, like everybody else like gets a passing, uh, gets yeah. like a B, except for, you know. I'm sorry, Richard Domeller. Uh You get a C. <laughs> you passed. But I you love just... Ted Raimi, and I I, fe- I always get the sense that Sam loves kind of fucking with him and putting him through. The oh yeah, yeah. He's his brother. Come on. <laughs> he would, apparently he would just be like, "Come on, toughen up. You're okay." Really? Stand- yeah. He was really. I mean, he also like showed up. He was his first on screen appearance was in The Evil Dead, where he was fake shemping. Uh, right. Which I always is, love that they use shimp in their credits. I yeah. did that on some of my short films. Oh, really? As tribute, yeah. Because <laughs> it's just such a great word. Yeah, shimp. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was like, it's, the fake shimp is based on uh, the Three Stooges shorts. Uh-huh. Shemp was the second Curly. I mean, not. Sure. Curly was the Curly. But, right, uh, right. But he, uh, shimp followed Curly, but then they wouldn't shoot every short together. They would shoot them, like, they would just shoot batches of scenes mm-hmm. and... They were shooting batches of scenes for their final, and not for their final, but for a uh, year. And the actor who played Shemp died, and so they had to. That's when they brought in the fake Shemp, the mm-hmm. the guy who had like <laughs> sort of Bella Lugosi, you know, like Bella Lugosi chiropractor his way through yeah. the scenes, like just like shoot him from behind, like use old footage, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And so that's what they that's why they call that's why they have fake Shemps because they were in the original Evil Dead. Everybody was there for six weeks, and like we can't. We only plan to be here for six weeks. We can't be here anymore. Yeah, and they left, and so they just had to bring in all these like, like stand-ins. Um, I always just use it in my credits as a, um, as a stand-in for like, you know, bar shimp or the guy in the background that does the one thing, <laughs> or yeah. you know, wood shimp. Mm-hmm. So I probably didn't even use it correctly, but it was my little nod. <laughs> yeah. To uh, to Ramy. It's yeah. It's a fun and it's shimp is a very fun word unto it itself. <laughs> so Bobby <laughs> Joe is taken at this point. Yeah, she uh, runs out. Yeah, they the, the well, the, uh, Professor Raymond Noby uh, breaks in. They, well, there's like those great sequence of shots, which I can't I can't remember if they did it like with a wide angle lens mm-hmm. and a telephoto lens. They just like those really flat. So you get those really flat yeah, yeah. Uh, shots where it's just like they shoot all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, something he used a lot in uh his series gosh what was it called uh American Gothic mm-hmm. which was a fun that was fun and then they canceled it before it got any resolution but um yeah they uh and then like you know professor raymond Noby comes back and says you have to the secret is in the book you have to right read the page passages and get rid of the evil yeah uh the severed hand grabs bobby joe she mm-hmm. freaks out <laughs> runs away <laughs> Into the woods. I'm not holding your hand. <laughs> I ain't holding your hand, baby. Um, well, that introduces the whole sequence, though, where Bobby Joe is gone, and Jake then is uh, that becomes his driving force, right, to get Bobby Joe back. Yeah, he yeah he picks up the shotgun. He's like and tries to make them go into the woods. Yeah, grabs the grabs the pages of the book 
And it's funny because you watch him walk by right by a blazing fire in the fireplace, and instead he like lifts up the <laughs> that's right lifts up the the trapdoor and throws him in there. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I did the, the last time I watched it. I did. I was like, why did he just like? But again, sure. Just like yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to apologize for like picking the picking anymore. No, but we, I mean we all by, by this time hundred times. Yeah. yeah, you can make little jokes like that. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so they go out, get uh, you know. Uh, Ash gets repossessed. That's right. And a, a more good creature work. Possessed yeah. Ash looks great. Yeah. And like grabs Jake, throws him into a tree. Mm-hmm. She runs like uh, Annie runs back into the cabin. She hears somebody outside, opens the door and stabs. It turns out to be Jake, who is still alive. Stabs with a movie prop that's probably a movie prop I might want to own more than any other. The knife that's made out of chicken bones. Yeah, yeah. man. It's so good. I wonder where that ended up. I... I think they might still have it. I think that according to the commentary, well, it was recorded in like 1991. Uh-huh. I think they still had it. Maybe, okay. Maybe it's like later. So they had that. it 28, 29 years ago? <laughs> yeah. Gosh, that is just a long time ago, isn't it? Well, anyway. Yeah. I just uh, had my 30th class reunion. I didn't go, but it, it yeah. I, I, I skipped mine as well, but not for any reason, but I was just like, I just didn't have the time. And yeah. I was just like, yeah. Here's to be here's to old guys. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, she stabs him with that great, great knife. Um, Ash. Uh, oh well, the 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 cellar blood scene where when they pull in Jake. Yeah, is fantastic. Yeah, where Henrietta grabs him by the head, pulls yeah. him to the cellar, and it's just like, and he's just being bathed in like a like sh- well, bathed or sh- well, showered actually. Just, yeah. <laughs> Just all this blood pouring out. Oh, it was so great. Yeah. Just so much blood. Yeah. And then it's like, it's like Ash comes back possessed. He gets depossessed because he sees that cheap necklace. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, gets, That's a great sequence yeah. when she tries to get kill him with the axe. Yeah. I'm all right now. But she keeps coming yeah. back and ah. she keeps coming back. <laughs> right. And then at the end, she's like, Okay, but for how long? Which right. is a very good point. Um, and yeah, and then it sets up that last fifteen minutes of the movie so well, though. Yeah, and that's where he does. You know, we get the great chainsaw scene mm-hmm. uh, when he's rigging up his system and groovy. It's uh, one thing I loved about Spider-Man Two, um, the one with Alfred Molina and mm-hmm. Doc Ock, was the the surgery scene, which is the one time that Raimi goes full on Evil Dead <laughs> in that movie. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. he uses all those same shots, those quick, uh, quick zoom, like mm-hmm. Dutch tilt zooms. Yeah, and th- in that one scene, he goes full Sam Raimi horror movie, uh, just for like a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you know all the nurses are being thrown around the room, and it has the POV shot of the of Doc Ock's tentacles going around yeah. and looking oh, around. Yeah, yeah. It's like just full on Evil Dead, and I, it's just one little nod. I think I need to watch that again. It's been oh, it's been that a was hot a good minute. one. It was, they were all. I mean, I, even the third one, which was like his weakest, because yeah, it was all right. I think I, I blame. I mean, I blame the studio for that because they. I think they were like, well, we've already had one villain. Now we got to up the ante and have two villains. Yeah, I think he just wanted to do a Sandman mm-hmm. one. Like we got to introduce. Uh, I want to say Spawn, but it wasn't Spawn. I it was Venom, remember. right? Which to me, I was out of comic books by that time, so mm-hmm. I was just like, I was like, I don't care about Venom. Give me some more Sandman. Yeah, um, those first two were good though, and especially the second one, I thought is yeah. still one of the great Spider-Man movies. Right, with a cameo by Bruce Campbell as yeah. the theater usher. That's right, and like being it, like <laughs> you can't come in. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that actually. Uh, so now he's rigged up with the chainsaw, and he's fully become Ash, the superhero that 
we will come to know mm-hmm. from the from Army of Darkness in the in the TV show. Yeah, um, when he's got all the bravado and he's not just being thrown around, he's in charge. Yeah, and she starts reading the reading the passages to uh-huh. summon the evil. Uh, but there's also a funny thing. It's like the evil manifests itself, and he's like, "Don't look! Don't look!" And it's like his hair turns white, uh-huh. and it's this giant what they call the rot- the rotten apple head, which right? Is, which you don't see as much because apparently it just didn't look as good as they thought it would. So you just get to see a little bit of it. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and she, uh, you know, his hair turns white, and then she's like, "How do we stop this thing?" She's like, "I only recited the first passage." The one that summons the mass makes him evil manifest itself. (laughs) Instead of like reading the second passage. uh, It's like, that's how this works. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then he, you know, she ends up getting stabbed by the hand with the, with the chicken, with the chicken bone knife. Yeah. Uh, But she does manage to squeak out the last bit of the, the recitation to, Mm -hmm. to dispel the evil. The rift opens, sucking it in. And then it, Keeps on sucking, and Bruce Campbell gets sucked into the past. And cue the cue the knights, which were apparently a such a great ending. Yeah, and apparently I read that Campbell had wanted to do uh, what essentially was Army of Darkness in the second one. Mm-hmm. He wanted him to get sucked back into through a time portal to medieval times. Yeah, but I think the way it worked out was great. Um, you know the the perfect way to end this movie because you it you so don't see it coming Mm-mm. at the time like upon first viewing right even it's though it's out of nowhere yeah even though they show the picture of the guy with the chainsaw on his arm in the in the book of the dead uh true but you don't make the connection yeah not at all yeah um you just he wakes up and sees those knights around him uh, Ted Raimi of course and Rob Tappert who's one of the producers oh really yeah. was that who that was yeah okay it's funny cuz you can you can see Ted Raimi Kind of like he sort of like has his arms bowed out, like like sort of waddling. I don't know if he chose to do that because he knew it would distinguish himself or those if those suits of armor. The rest of the knights were played by a National Guard. uh, Oh, really? Yeah. Do I call them a troop? It sounds like Boy Scouts if I say that. Battalion? National National Guard. Reservists? Yeah, reservists. Okay, sure. Why not? (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then it's like. Such a great ending. Yeah. The the big winged beast comes out um, and. He takes care of it, and then is 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 the god. He's, yeah, he is the king. Hail to he who has come to save us from the demons from the sky. Hail! <laughs> no, no. And it is actually it's good because it's funny, but it's also just like really unsettling because yeah. he's like he just clearly doesn't not want to be that guy. He no. just like he wants to go home to Esmart and work. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He he owns it in three eventually. Yeah, but he he's he never is the willing. Um. The willing hero. Yeah. Seems like he's always just sort of roped into it. Right. I mean, I also have to consider that he didn't get a whole lot of sleep for the last 48 hours uh, preceding this. Right. That's well, he did. He, he collapsed <laughs> in a, he slept in a puddle for eight hours. That couldn't have been very restful, though. Yeah. I didn't even consider that, but you're totally right. <laughs> uh, did we do it? Do you got anything else? Um, I just want to say that I don't know how Ebert reviewed this, but I know he really liked The Evil Dead, the first Evil Dead. Um, he was a big fan. I remember watching, I think that was another early horror movie memory I have, which was watching him reviewing Evil Dead. It must have been 1981. It was on like their, when it was on PBS uh, and not syndicated. And just seeing the scene where uh, the light bulb, he's in the basement and the light bulb fills up with blood. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, that looks cool. Um, 
But I assume he. So you saw that on at the movies? Yes. With Ebert and Roper. Oh no 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 with Siskel and Ebert. Or uh, Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. It was at the movie. Was it at the movies or like? There was like the PBS version, then there was like the syndicated version. Yeah, I can't remember which the PBS was. Yeah. I used to love that show. It was so good. It was so fun to watch. Yeah. And there's even like you, if you go and look at clips, uh, you can find clips where they're just arguing. Oh, it's like, great. And they just are really genuinely mad at each yeah. other about. I don't think I even ever knew when that came on. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like appointment viewing. I just found myself catching it. Right. For some reason. Maybe it's because there were only, you know, you know, there were only three channels or whatever, <laughs> but that's sort of true. You yeah. know, there wasn't as much around, so you would happen upon stuff right. with it's, regularity by accident. PBS is kind of like – that's the way it is with PBS shows. It's like everything is like the Antiques Roadshow. You're like flipping channels. Oh, it's Antiques Roadshow. Right. All right. It's like how many, I'll watch this. how many hours a day do they actually show this? <laughs> <laughs> it was good stuff though, man. I love that show. Yeah. And that introduced me to uh, – you know, I was the little kid that watched Entertainment Tonight every mm-hmm. night and – Subscribed to Premier Magazine, and I was just – I was way into it from an early age. It's funny to think about, like, a, a 10-year-old sitting around <laughs> and watching Siskel and Ebert. Yeah, but it is – it's true. Like, you get – you know, you get to a, a point where you're – you know, you just are – I mean, in a lot of cases, this is the only exposure I would have to a lot – to many of these movies. Yeah, me too. You know, I didn't see – like, I also remember similarly watching uh, – you know, listening to NPR. Uh-huh. And I'm, I did not just grow up as an NPR PBS household, by the way. I just want to put, <laughs> make that absolutely clear. But, you know, when I was 14 years old, this, I, I'd wake up. That was, the radio was set to NPR, and I'd listen to Morning Edition, and they interviewed Jim Jarmusch for mm. Strangers in Paradise. Interesting. And I was like, this movie sounds crazy. Yeah. But weird. I mean, not crazy crazy, but, you know, interesting. Yeah, different. Yeah. So, you know, that's a lot of the, you know, that was how I was introduced. I mean, this is – Clearly, before you could swap around, send around videos easy, with ease, and like send people links and be like, you know, yeah, there was so much word of mouth. Well, and before they, uh, you could go to iTunes movie trailers and just watch all the trailers. Like mm-hmm. I loved movie trailer, I still do, but that was I watched Siskel and Ebert largely to to see what was coming, right, and what was worth watching and what uh-huh. was worth checking out. Absolutely, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, and it's like it's interesting because Ebert had a, you know, he he got it. He always he always seemed to get it with with movies like that. Did you see the documentary? I didn't. Ebert's. I need to watch it. Really great. Do you know is it streaming anywhere? Mm, I think it. I think it still is. Okay. Life itself. Really, really good. Very heartwarming. Okay, I will. I will seek it out. Yeah, you should check it out. Yeah, you'd appreciate it. Excellent. Uh, you got anything else? Uh, I think that's about it. Do I have any other little tidbits? Uh, I think that's all I have tidbit wise. All uh, right. Yeah, just like if you haven't, I mean, if you've listened this long, I assume you've already seen it. Probably, but go watch it again. Yeah, Man, it's just it's worth a repeated viewing. Watch it every October. Yeah, watch it every October, or you know, it, it holds you, up. Yeah, get the Blu-ray and watch it, or the DVD and mm-hmm. get get the newer Blu-rays. Actually, I think Anchor Bay, like I said, these movies kept Anchor Bay for afloat for a long time. They shouldn't have. Anchor Bay was kind of a their, their transfers were always pretty bad. They did one that was like I did. I got a two disc set of The Evil Dead. And it was like letterbox edition and regular edition or the full screen edition. I was like, oh, I'll watch the letterbox edition. And I was watching it and there's a scene where Bruce Campbell is walking around in the basement and he is in a pool of blood and there's like a Band-Aid box floating in this pool of blood. <laughs> but in the letterbox edition, it's cut off because oh, it was shot in 16 millimeter. Right. It was never meant to be letterbox. It uh-huh. was just like a 
bad way of saying it was just like a way to sort of get money out of uh, right. unwary consumers like myself. Like another edition. Yeah. That leaves stuff out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joe. Thanks for being here, buddy. Thank you, Chuck. Look forward to the next one. I am too. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at First, first Listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.